0: Because God is trustworthy. He can be relied upon. He can make this complex world, this this disorientated world into something that's simple and something that makes sense. He gives us plan and purpose. He makes our lives meaningful and we find all of that in His Word. Hey
1: everyone, welcome to uh, our service on Sunday the 23rd of January and uh, fantastic news. We are back in the chapel today. Uh, so good to see everyone's friendly faces um, we will be led today by Linda Darthwaite and the message which is a really awesome one is from Nigel Huff I hope you all enjoy
2: and uh, welcome back lovely to be together again and sing praise to our Lord I'm just going to start by reading Psalm 100 which is familiar to to us shout for joy to the Lord all the earth worship the Lord with gladness Come before him with joyful songs, know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations." Let's stand up and sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. It's number 617 in your books. We'll open and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all together today. We thank you for Nigel coming to speak to us. Lord, we pray that you will bless us, his word that he's brought to us from you, Father, that we might walk out of here today encouraged and be a light in a very dark world. Lord, we think of those of our group that aren't with us, and we pray especially for those who are going through hard times through whether it be health financial or emotional anyway Lord we just pray that you will be ever so near those that are dear to us and father we think of those who um, are back with us Uh, we think of those who have been ill and just so pleased to see them strong and um, healthy again and we just praise you for looking after them father we think of those who are suffering in the world. There's so many people, especially with this awful volcano in, uh, near Tonga. We think of the displacement of so many people. We pray that you will be with those who have been displaced, Lord. And uh, may your word come out stronger, more than ever before, that these are the end times, Father, the birthing pains of your return. What better time for us, Lord, than now to spread the gospel message amongst those close to us. And Father, we commit to you, Zimbabwe, her leaders, and uh, we especially think of the schools where their teachers haven't returned or many teachers haven't returned, and the children are going through such a difficult time, needing to get back into some sort of routine and just doesn't seem to be there for them. So Father, we pray for the schools in our nation. We pray for the clinics where so many nurses have gone overseas to work. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you give this government of ours, the people in in leadership, wisdom to know how to handle these issues of of pay and all the other um, challenges that they are facing. May they be strong and may they be good servants for the people. Lord, as we continue to sing praises to your name, we pray that you'll manifest yourself here amongst us and that we might Feel strengthened. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to, um, I know that you need to stand. It's a lovely way of getting the music out of you because when you sit, it's inclined to be squashed down there. So we're going to sing number 664, the spirit lives to set us free. Number 664. In my prayer about the volcano in Tonga, and just um, amazed at the strength and power, and just a few stats that I got off the, the internet because it was just so fascinating how incredibly enormous this eruption was. That it could clearly be seen from space satellites, and maybe the biggest ever seen from space. Shockwaves recorded in Europe 15 hours after the volcano erupted. UK scientists examining the weather satellite. Data captured the plume volcano around 55 kilometers above the Earth's surface. U.S. space agency scientists calculated the explosive force to be equivalent to 10 megatons of TNT, which would have made Tonga the event 500 times as powerful as the nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Japan, at the end of World War II. Many believe that this record-breaking tsunamis, hurricanes, and cyclones we've had over the past decade play a part in the fulfillment of, of Bible prophecy. And I just think that um, now is the time to be able to witness to people. Um, it's, I find that quite hard, witnessing to people, especially um, people who are absolutely rigid about um, not being believing in, in God, my best friend being one of those. And um, I've shared in Bible study, I know some of you will recall how my dear friend um, just is not interested, has said that she feels sorry for me that I think that she's going to go to hell because it must be very hard for me to think that, um, knowing that my best friend is not going to go to heaven. But So I don't talk about it anymore. But this dear friend who lives overseas has just had a, well, a year ago, a severe nervous breakdown. And basically she's just fallen apart and is coming to stay next week so I'd appreciate your prayers because um, I need to witness to her she's been on so much medication seen psychiatrists psychologists been in the best clinics in Zurich and um, she's not all right so um, I would appreciate your prayers trying to um, witness to somebody like that and uh, I think it makes it easier when you see prophecy coming true in the word and knowing that this is this is the truth the word is the truth And um, we don't know how much longer, whether he's coming in our lifetime or hereafter, we don't know. So, just talking about praying for people. And if anyone wants any prayers for specific reasons, please do contact us so that we know how to pray for you. It does make such a difference to one's quiet time when you know how you can lift that person up in prayer. Mike, will you bring us the notices, please?
1: morning and welcome everyone to It's great to see so many people here. Yeah? Um, the only person whose birthday I actually is Carol Hobart. She's uh, overseas, so we've got, we won't sing happy birthday too. Does anyone else have a birthday that we don't know about? It's not yours, Nigel. No. <laughs> um, and I don't have any anniversaries either. Does anyone have an anniversary this week? So our speaker today is uh, Nigel Thanks very much for coming out, Nigel. Well, it was great to have you with us. Our speaker next Sunday is Andy Lawson. Uh, evening Bible study on Wednesday at 5 pm at 7 Thames Road or 6 pm at 17 Highgat Road. Um, the 6 pm one is, is better, and this group goes with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, our Sunday school is still in recess, and I think. Um, Linda and I were just talking about we you need to actually talk to Ali and see if we can't be again and going. Um, and then just uh, uh asking you please to continue to pray for the following people Bruce Friel, Nelid Gundu, Young Aaron, Pete Watson, Taryn Baker, Cheryl Friel, uh, Richard Wilson and Maureen Arnold. Uh, please keep them all in your prayers. They uh, all that us. Okay. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mike. We're going to stand to sing our, our hymn before we hand over to, to Nigel. It's number 746. 746. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Please stand.
0: To good morning thank you for inviting me back again it's been a long time <laughs> if you have your bibles it'd be really useful if you open to the book of psalms we're in psalm 19 that's what we're going to be looking at this morning before we even begin let me start by saying two things the first is this is that the word of god has great power it has power to change us from within I've been preaching for a long time. I've come here many times. I bet you there's not one person here who would even remember one of the sermons that I've preached. And I don't blame you because I can't even remember them myself. But what is interesting over this period of time is that often people come to me, people come up to me and they say, you know, I remember you preaching at such and such a time and the Lord spoke to me. And that's the truth of it all is that the Lord speaks to us through his word. So my job when I come here is that I present God's word to you. Now You might say to yourself, well, why do you need to? Because it's in front of us. And the reason is is because I've been studying it a long time. And hopefully God gives some of us gifts where he can open up his word. But I can't say things that are in his word or make up things that are in his word. You can follow his word. You can see if what I'm saying is true. You can go and check up on it. If I reference something else, you can check on those things. And you should do those things. And this should be the starting point for you to really dig into God's word. So when I come in Psalm 19, I would hope that you would go home and that you would look at it deeply. It's a well-known song. All of you know it, I'm sure, very well. Now, what it does talk about is God's inspired word. That's what comes up in Psalm 19. So it starts off with this magnificent declaration, the heavens declare the glory of God. But it seems like that's not enough. We don't see enough of God unless we go into his word. And it gives us his word as authoritative. What we've been singing about all morning is about Jesus. And God's word is all about Jesus. If you know the Old Testament well, you'll know that the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. I say this every time I come here. But it looks forward to Jesus. It predicts Jesus. It's anticipating Jesus. The Gospels tell us about Jesus. About everything that he did. The Acts of the Apostles, they preach Jesus. The epistles explain Jesus, and then Revelation anticipates his second coming when he'll come in glory to judge all the world, that moment that we've been all waiting for, and we don't know when that is, but we're told that it will happen. So the whole book is about Jesus. Now, Jesus comes into the world to save people. It's about salvation. And that's the last thing I want to say to you this morning before we start on Psalm 19, is that... In in being saved, there's an historical event for a Christian that they were saved. I think I've said it to you before. There's a, a current event that we've being saved, there's a future event that we will be saved. At a point in the past, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you came to him, you acknowledged that you'd rebelled against him, that you turned your back on him, you appealed to him for help, and you believed in him as revealed in his word. At that point, you were justified. Jesus took away your sin. In the eyes of God, you were now clean. The sacrifice had been paid on your behalf. Jesus died at Calvary so that you would be clean, that your sins would be atoned for. He became a propitiation for our sins, which means he took away, he paid the penalty for our sins. He saved us at that point. But as you and I know that even though we were saved in the past, in this current state, we still sinners. So I struggle with sin all the time. The law of the spirit and the law of the flesh war against each other. But God continues in his goodness and in his grace to work in me, to change me by the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm being saved. I'm being helped by him to overcome sin. You might be looking at me and thinking, well, you haven't done very well and you'd be right to say so. (laughs) But, But perhaps my family who know me more would be able to say, no, we see a change in you. We see over a period of time that you become more and more like Jesus. You're still a long way away. And you're never going to be like him until you're with him in heaven. But he's working in you. He's giving you power to overcome your sin. You're being saved in the present tense. That's where we all are now. In the future, I'll be saved once and for all from sin. Jesus will take away my sin and I'll be like him. If you uh, like theology, the first part of the process is called justification. We justified before God. The second part of the process, the here and the now, is sanctification. We're being changed all the time. The third part of the process is glorification. One day we will be like Jesus. He'll take away our sin. All the punishment and and all the pain that comes with sin, all the suffering and the death, that will be gone once and for all will be with Jesus. I love to say to my friend who's a doctor, who's actually just operated on my back, I say, do you remember you won't have a job in heaven? There's no place for you. My lawyer friends, you've got no place. But us crocodile farmers will be needed. <laughs> Many jobs that will be lost in heaven. So if you'll to- turn to Psalm 19, I know you all know it but it's a beautiful psalm written by David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, it makes its circuit to the other, nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern my errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the Lord add his blessing to our reading, and let's pray. Lord, your words are full of power and wisdom, and by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit they are alive and that they change our hearts. This is not so with the words of men that disappear like a mist. Therefore we pray that your word would speak to us this morning by the power of your spirit and change us forever. Amen. I don't know if you noticed while we were reading the psalm that you could split it into three parts. It starts off where we look at the heavens and we look at creation. And then the second part is where we look at the Torah or the law or the the word of God. And then the third part is we look at ourselves and we look inside of our own hearts. So if you don't remember much this morning, I'd be asking you that you would look up. Look up at creation. See God in creation. Then I'd be calling on you to look down. Look down at God's word. Look at the Torah and look into it. And then finally look in. Look into your own hearts and discover what's inside of your own heart. So look up. Look down and look in. The heavens declare the glory of God. I've just recently been up at the, the valley, and we had an expert on elephants, and we had another expert on dung beetles. And they spoke, and they spoke for about four days on elephants and dung beetles, and, and they never ran out. And at the end of it, the guy who was talking about elephants, he said, you know, in all my life of just uh, looking at elephants... I feel I'm just starting to scratch the surface. I'm beginning to understand that they can speak to each other in different ways. They, they re- have reverence for the dead in ways that I didn't understand. And so many things about elephants. But I'm just starting to scratch the surface. And then this lady spoke about dung beetles. And she told me that there's about 3,000 different types of dung beetle spread into four main varieties. And some of them come and steal another person's piece of another dung beetle's dung. And the other one burrows down and the other one's in the And she went through all of the stuff. And at the end of it, she said the same thing. She said, I feel I'm just beginning to scratch the surface. What an unbelievable creation we have. When we look up at the heavens, it's just vast. It's impossible for us not to be in awe of the greatness. I mean, I know that you've all watched that thing by, um, what's the guy's name who does the passion Anyway, that guy, and he he tells us all about all of the stars. And we suddenly realize how small we are, that we're just a dot in this universe. And in every way, we're just tiny. And it's magnificent. And I remember he talks about Betelgeuse, this this kind of planet that's so huge that, that the earth would just be a tiny little dot on it. Magnificent. I said to the same doctor, doesn't that show us of the infinity of God? And he said to me, no, that's only half the story. Because that's his vastness. But what about his detail? And then he went in to tell me about the flagellum, which is is the motor behind bacteria that makes them move around. And this little motor that you have to have a a, a microscope that's 10,000 times the size in it is is unbelievable detail. There's a little prop shaft and there's a little prop. And and there's a carburetor and there's an engine. And it can turn any time wherever it wants to go. You nodding, so I know you know about flagellium. I didn't know about it before, but extraordinary. And then I read how Bill Gates said that the DNA chain is so complex that it's infinitely more complex than the most complex computer program that had ever been written. You see, God is vast in His greatness. And the heavens declare His glory. When we look out at creation, we see that there's a glorious God. But it's only a reflection It's not God. This story that's in the heavens, that's there for everybody to see that every single culture can see, tells a different story to different individuals. Because people who are in other parts of the world don't worship the same God. What has happened that we see all of this and yet we don't know God? Something's come in the way, hasn't it? You see, by looking up, we see something of God. But we don't see all of God; we only see a bit of God. The story that goes out to all the world, that's spoken in every single language, that's available for everyone to see, is distorted when it comes through to for for us to understand God. And we ask ourselves the question, and the answer is in Romans chapter one, verse twenty, isn't it? I know you all know it. I'm just going to turn there quickly. You don't have to. But it's interesting what Paul says about creation. Romans chapter one verse twenty, and I know you know this as well. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave Him thanks, or, or, or nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. See, Paul's saying that we rejected God. He revealed himself to us in creation, but we turned our back on him. And then what we did instead of worshipping him is we took created things and made them into our gods. So we worshipped created things. As I've said many times, we created God in our image. We made Him to reveal who we were. Isn't it amazing how God always fits into our own ideology? I notice in my own life all the time, God makes allowances for certain things in my life where I know that I've got weaknesses, but He's very judgmental on other things where you've got weaknesses. So like I've said to you, I judge you by your actions. I judge myself by my motives. I create God in my own image. That's what I do. And so so what has happened is, is that all of God that we see in creation is distorted. And it's distorted because we've rebelled against him and we've turned our back on him. So we cannot see. We cannot see God for exactly who he is. And so in looking up, we do not see all of God. And that's why he's given us his word so that we look down and we look into his word. I find it very interesting That in this song, at the beginning of the song, the word that's used for God is the word El. The Greek word El. El. The same way that we would say El Shaddai or Elohim. It's the generic word for God. It's almost like saying the guy who's upstairs. It's not the personal word for God. It's kind of an abstract God. And so we say the heavens declare the glory of El. Of God. Abstract God. But now when we come to looking down into his word, the word for God changes. It changes to Yahweh, the personal God, the God who's involved in your life, the God who can be known. We go back to Moses with the burning bush when he says, well, who are you? And he says, I am that I am. You can't compare me to anything else. I'm God. I'm the beginning and the end, the alpha and the meager. I know all things. I'm all wise and I'm all powerful. You cannot see me and live. This is Yahweh, the holy God. We converted, uh, converted into Jehovah or into Lord. But you need to know that there's been a change. There needs to be more for you to know the personal God than just looking out at creation. I have my friends who say to me, "No, well, I go and talk to God in nature? Well, what God are you speaking to? Are you speaking to an elephant? You see, I agree with my friend that there's something that happens in my soul when I see creation, but it doesn't reveal Yahweh to me. If I want to find Yahweh, I go into his word. That's where I find Yahweh. I find all about him. So we call it in theology um, um, general revelation, which is when we see the creation, and specific revelation which is in God's word where he tells us exactly what God is. This is his love letter to us so that we would understand him. So we go from that part in the, in the psalm where we're talking about the heavens to the specific part where we're talking about his word. And the word that's used here, the law of the Lord is perfect, is the word Torah. You need to know what that word means because it's used six times in a row from there. It's, it's different, uh, slightly different and it says law Statutes, precepts, commands, fear, ordinances. But it's called a parallelism in in scriptures. It's the same concept, but given from a different angle so that we'd have greater understanding. But it's referring to the Torah. Now for you and I, most of the time with, with the Torah, we think of the law. So we'd be thinking of the Ten Commandments. Or maybe we're thinking of the civil law. But that's not what it means. It means God's revealed will for all of life, for you and for me. So he's showing us what we need to know about him and about ourselves so that we might have productive and joyous and fruitful lives. What we would call the scriptures. So he's saying in the scriptures we will find these things. General revelation is not going to show us exactly who God is. specific revelation will show us exactly who God is. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So we have these six names for the Torah. Then we have, I think it's adjectives that that, um, is an adjective a describing word? Yeah, so we have six adjectives. And then we have um, six things that they do. Is that a verb? Is that a doing word? Okay. So sorry about that. I'm not an English person. I'm a crocodile farmer. So so we have, we have six names for the Torah, uh, six doing words, is that about right? six describing words, six doing words? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or converting the soul. Let me just look at that quickly for you. So I've told you what the Torah is. The word perfect, a better word would be complete. It's finished, it's everything that's required. And and the word reviving is the same word as converting or regenerating or saving the soul. So if we want to find the way that we go out of the world and and we redeemed. We go to the Torah, to God's word. That's where we find it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. As I've said to you this morning, the words that I give to you, I I come in good spirit. I'm not trying to deceive you, but I'm a person. I come with baggage. My words are not trustworthy. You're right to go in a couple of weeks' time and not remember anything I've said. But you're wrong if you don't remember the words of God in Psalm 19. Because the words of God are trustworthy. They're worth remembering. Because He can be relied upon. The creator of all of this world, the one who went into the greatness of creation and the detail of creation, is the very one who gives you His word so that you might have the right way of living. You might have a joyous and a prosperous life. As much as we think we might be able to do it without God, we can't. Because he's the one with the source code. When we're lost in our transgressions, when we're blinded by our sin, we don't see those things. It's impossible for your friend. And you can't convert your friend, and I can't convert your friend. Only the Holy Spirit can convert your friend. But the Holy Spirit does work in miraculous ways because He's full of power and full of strength. And that's why we pray. That's why we bring the gospel. Because God is trustworthy. He can be relied upon. He can make this complex world, this this disorientated world, into something that's simple and something that makes sense. He gives us plan and purpose. He makes our lives meaningful. And we find all of that in His Word, in His Torah, The precepts of the Lord are right. They bring joy to the heart. The place where we find ultimate joy is with God. It's in His Word. It's in His Son. That's what He created us to do, is to honor Him and glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. The precepts are right. There's nothing wrong about them. We find that when we follow His ways, they lead to a good life. They lead to joy and happiness and hope and all the things that we desire. And all the other things that are in the world we find are not right. When we chase them, they lead us to a poison chalice. That's what happens. When we chase riches, that's what happens. When we think we're going to find it in other relationships, it's a poison chalice. The source of all, and the, the one who holds the blueprint of our lives, is God himself. His precepts are right and they bring joy to our heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. They light up our eyes. Our eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit. We're given a chance to see things that we couldn't see before. He turns around our hearts. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. I always remember that time when I came to believe in Jesus for the first time. After rebelling against him, ...for a long time before... ...and thinking, is this going to be a short-term thing? What's going to happen tomorrow? Am I going to still believe in Him? But we find that it's pure and that it endures forever. The same grace that took me out of darkness into life... ...is the same grace that continues to work in me today. And it's the same grace that will take me home. And then the ordinances are sure... ...and by them we are warned and we get great reward. They're more precious than honey. They're more valuable than gold. Everything in the world, else in the world doesn't compare to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. It's our greatest joy. And this is, for me, the most interesting part of the Christian faith, is it's nothing that we can earn. We can't go and find faith on our own. The Bible says of us that we lost in our transgressions. we dead in our sin. We have no light and we have no life. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, he comes and changes us. So the world is saying to us all the time, try and be better, try and be better. It's about you. The Bible is saying you can't be better. You're terminal. You can't start working on your heart. You can't have an operation on your heart. You need an absolutely new heart. And there's only one who can change, turn your heart around and give you a new heart, and that's Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. So while we look up, we can see the greatness of God. We can see His divine character, but it doesn't tell us everything. We can look down and we can learn everything about God, but it doesn't mean that we right with God. There needs to be one more step, and that's when we look in. So look at what David says. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. This is a rhetorical question. None of us can discern our own errors. None of us can see properly into our own hearts. When Jesus shines his light into our hearts, we see things that we wish we didn't have to see. What we see is a dark heart, a heart that's in rebellion against God, a heart that said, God, I don't need you. Now the one who's writing this psalm is David. The one after God's own heart. And he's the one who's saying, I can't reveal my own heart. If David is saying it, what does it say about us? Our hearts are not in the right place. Something has to happen. So he says, keep me from hidden sin. In and of my own uh, understanding and of my own desires, I cannot see my own sin. It's hidden from me. I've got blinkers on. I need the Holy Spirit to interfere in my life and change me, and to turn me, and to make me like him. And he goes on to say, Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we look into our own heart, when when God gives us the chance to see us for who we really are, we know that we're in a desperate situation. The Christian faith is different to every single other faith in all of the world. Every single other faith says that we can find our way to heaven through good works. The Christian faith says no; that we're terminal. All of us are in the same boat. We've all turned our back on God. So when I was down in the valley and I was talking to my friend about Jesus, he said, but I think I'm okay. He said, because I've, I've been good most of the time. I've done much more good than I've done wrong. And I've given people much more than I've received. So I've kind of, I'm in credit. And I said to him, you haven't understood. Because it's got nothing to do with you and other people. That's just an outward thing of what's happened internally. It's all about you and God. And you see, the Bible is saying is that in your very DNA, you've rebelled against this God. You do not have the ability to make yourself Right. But God has made it right on your behalf. He sent his son to die on a cross in time and space in a place called Jerusalem. He died on a hill called Calvary. He was nailed to a cross and he died. He suffered every kind of emotional, psychological and physical pain you could imagine. And when he came to the end of it all, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, he took the punishment of God the Father in heaven upon his own shoulders so that you and I could be right with him. He became our propitiation. He took on the penalty and the pain of our sin upon himself. I cannot do anything that makes me right with God because God has already done it on my behalf. And that's why he makes me right because I believe in his son. The Christian faith is different to any other faith. The Christian faith is for those who know that they are terminally ill. It's for those who know that they have no way back to God other than through Jesus Christ himself. I would be asking you this morning that you do look up at the great God that we serve, but that you look down so that you would understand who he is, that you would get an insight into yourself and into who God is, but that ultimately that you would look in, because God needs to change your heart. He does it in the past when you believe in Jesus, but he's doing it today for you and for me. He changes us and he conforms us into the likeness of his son. And one day he'll take us home to be with him where we'll be sinless forever. But until that time, we're in the middle and we trust in him to intervene and to empower us to be like his son. Amen. Amen.
2: before we go into communion we'll sing another hymn and uh, just enjoyed that part that you're saying there Nigel about your loyal doctor of friends Little, no place for them in heaven and I was reading about an ancient people who believed that God used volcanoes to make more room in hell for the large number of people that he knows are going to die soon <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so maybe the more volcanoes we have the more people going down uh, please stand and we're going to sing number 506 how great thou art, number five zero six. Oh, sorry, no. Yes, how our- great. Yes, it is. Oh Lord, my God, beni imos. One thing, number five zero
3: six.
0: all the works thy hand hath made I see the stars I hear the mighty thunder thy power throughout thy the universe displayed
3: then sing to my soul my saviour God to
0: thee how great thou art, How great thou art, then sing to my soul, my Saviour God
3: to thee,
0: how great
3: thou art,